Hey everybody, Chibi here. Before we get into today's conversation, I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you. Thank you for showing us that you care about poetry and getting to know more poets across this country. If you've liked what you've heard so far, please make sure to hit that subscribe button, share these episodes, tell a friend, rate and review us wherever you can. And if you want to know more about the things and the initiatives that we are putting in place, you can look us up on Facebook at The Blah Poetry Spot. That is B-L-A-H, The Blah Poetry Spot on Facebook or Write Art Out on Instagram. That's W-R-I-T-E-A-R-T-O-U-T, Write Art Out. Thank you so much, and without further ado, let's get into today's conversation. Hello, 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 and welcome everybody to another edition of the Blah Poetry Spot presents Words and Shit, an intimate performance and interview with a different poet every week so that you can get to know the person behind the poetry. I am so excited to be with you guys. As you can see, I have reached um, Britney Spears circa 2007 level of quarantine and decided to shave my head. Uh, and so because of that, I'm so excited that I'm going to be joined by another shaved head San Antonio legend. My co-host this week is your uh, taco poet of San Antonio. It is Eddie Vega. Eddie, how are you doing joining us from a San Antonio rooftop somewhere? That's right. That's right. You know, don't look too far. Uh, I don't want people to come out here. You need to keep that distance, you know, so don't let people know exactly where I'm at. Uh, so I will tell you the Tropicana is nice this time of year. Yeah. All right. A random, undisclosed, nondescript San Antonio rooftop at least six feet away from everybody else. Right, right. All right. Hey, so, uh, yeah, we got, we got, we've got today we have another fellow um, member of the Bald Headed Poets Club. Uh, we are the ones who are surviving this whole virus like nobody else, because we don't complain about having to get a haircut because we do it our damn self. That's right. In the new world, we're all barbers. In the new world, in the new world we're all balls. All right, exactly. So tonight, uh, we have with us Vincent Cooper. And uh, Vincent is the author of two books, Where the Reckless Ones Come to Die, and uh, the other one is called Sarsamora, Poetry of Survival. He's also been published in Huisache, River's Edge Journal, and La Voz. He is also a Macondista, a member of the Macondo Writers Workshop. He lives and works here in San Antonio. Welcome, Vincent. Hey, good to be here. Thank you so much. So how are you doing right now with the uh, with, with things? You know, it's weird. I, I, I'm still working, you know, and I don't want to work. <laughs> I want to be I want to be home. I want to sleep. I want to write and I got to go to work. And actually, I'm a collector. So I, I make collection calls all day. It's hilarious. <laughs> hey, well, that's essential, I guess. So your people are calling that essential. Uh, I, I would resent, I would rather be essentially sleeping. That's right. Well, uh, if it's any consolation, uh, I know that you are working hard, uh, and so are your colleagues, because I've gotten at least two calls a day from some of them. <laughs> all right, good. Hey, um, so... Um, you're looking very academic today. Uh, the glasses, the, the and looking like that Chicano professor, uh, that Chicano professor look. Is that what you were going for? This is all luck, man. It's all luck. I'm actually, uh, I'm losing my eyes. I, I'm diabetic, so I, I can't see that well. Oh. Okay. Uh, so I really need it, and uh, I actually would have this anyway. My my facial hair, so it's oh. no big deal, you know. But I I like the Chicano professor thing, yeah. It yeah. just adds to the whole aesthetic. It gives you some 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 visual clout, really. <laughs> I like that the aesthetic. Speaking of aesthetics, uh, some of you out there, and I don't see the other guy out here. Some people often have um, come up to me and said, "Man, I love your poetry. I love that poem that you do about Sasamora." And I'm like, "Hey, that, that's Vincent Cooper." <laughs> yeah. Look, well, it, ha it happens to me too, man. I, I can't. I don't know what it is, but everywhere I go, they're like, you're that taco poet guy. You're Eddie Vega, right? 
You're right. awesome last night. And I'm like, yeah, thank you. Very, thank <laughs> you very much. Not all Mexican poets look alike, okay? We may yeah. all be nearly bald with facial hair and glasses, but you know what? We're all different and unique, so. And, and this proves it because there are three different screens here and Vincent Cooper, myself, Chibi, they might all have the facial hair and the glasses, but there are, there's proof right here. We are not the same person. We are not the same person. We have all existed in the same virtual space together. Uh, well, on that note, Vincent, why don't you kick us off and do some of your poetry? We'd love to hear some of your work before we get into this conversation. So we're going to go ahead and mute ourselves and turn off our videos and let you take it away for the next 15 minutes or so. All right. All right. So thank you, guys. Uh, this is new material. Uh, I'm, I wrote a screen, uh, screenplay, a script on uh, my time in the Marines, and it was about three years ago, right around when Trump got elected, and I wrote all these kind of like, fuck the government poems, and fuck Trump, and kill them all, and, and I submitted it, and nobody wanted it, <laughs> and I put it on the shelf, and I'm like, you know, I'm going to have to rework these, and and I did a little bit. I just recently started reworking them. This is the first one. Then the ultimatum. My dad wants you out of the house or get a job so we can move out. Go to the army so we can have stability. You'll be thin and sexy in a uniform, those dress blues. We'll be able to travel. Fuck Texas. Let's get out of here. She pleads with me all the way to the recruiting station on Military Drive. We park and argue for an hour. Sailors and Marines walk by, hearing us scream about where our relationship was going. I had fallen in love with a different woman I worked with at the Marriott downtown. I was a pool boy and didn't have the balls to tell this teary Chicana in the car that I wanted to leave her there. I stare at her hard. I pulled the door handle, bolted out of the driver's seat of her father's sedan to Bill, and joined the Marine Corps. This is called A Chicano During Wartime. It's the first time I'm reading this. I wanted to go to war, kill some time in Afghanistan, pick up corporal, finalize my divorce, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Lose some pounds, save some money, breathe in the hot desert wind, and to know the stink of another country. These boot Marines, barely married, trying to sleep with brand new wives, boot camp, SOI, get to the fleet, waiting all this time, now shipping out, and I, marriage ending, daughter in her belly, too much American pop, too many movie scenes in my head. Colonel Kurtz would be sitting on a sand dune waiting for me. I tell him, I too am a poet. A Chicano poet, Marine de Califas, getting paper trailed out of the Marine Corps, pushed around and spit on by staff sergeants, gunnies, daring me to take a swing. This is what my Theo meant when he called me and said, you're not gonna make it. Afghanistan was not a war at first. It was a business proposition. Contracts, chess, checkers, choices, chaining. Everyone wanted in, including stripper wives of officers who had open game to fuck whomever until the war was over. Is it over? The dive bars were filled with rednecks, East Coast Blacks and California Chicanos, all flirting with the same stripper. The boot Marines at home with new wives working on pregnancy, hoping pity will let them stay. And I, a drunk, hiding dope for friends, driving while intoxicated, volunteering to take their place. Send me to the Middle East, send me to die in desert camels. Just get me out of America. I needed a break. Request denied. You're staying here in 29. Liquored up, unauthorized absences. A sergeant looking for me because I slept with his wife. 
You're not gonna make it, Theo said. He was the only consistent father figure I had. He knew I wouldn't survive. Theo went to Nam. Recruiters snatched him up, like all recruiters in San Anto do, a roundup gente to fight the wars of Euro juniors, to die for their red, white, and blue on stolen indigenous land. Theo came back to America, a cook for the VA, shit on a shingle, best meal I ever had. I wanted to go to war too. It turns out the wars I fought in were with the Corps. This is called Brothers. I really hope you're all fucking hearing me because it's hilarious if you're not. Um, all in all is all we are, Nirvana. His name was Fitz. His feet stunk up the room. All our eyes watered up, watching him peel green socks off. Black toenails. He was from Seattle and we bonded over Kurt Cobain. Post high school, Cobain was our Christ. Our generation before September 11th only wanted to die. We talk about the punk rock band we hadn't formed and how we didn't fit the Marine Corps prototype. Dolph Lundgren pointing an M16 at the sky, muscles blasting out of his camouflage blouse, stone cold blue eyes, spiky blonde hair, dog tags resting on sweaty pecs. Fitz said, I can't be here. I'm going UA, go with me, man. I laughed and walked with him to the entrance of the School of Infantry. As soon as the gate opens, I'm running for it, he said. Oceanside, California, water, sand, freeway, and non-judicial punishment. The barbed wire gate opened. He ran. 20 minutes afterward, an empty room, a platoon sergeant winced, held his aching knee and said, you two Hollywood Marines don't wanna be here? I'm from the island and my fellow Marine is my brother. Now, if you two wanna be here, get your asses on out there and we'll forget about this. Fitz, red-faced, said me for supporting him. 10 years later, in a dusty box, a picture of me and Fitz smoking Marlboro cigarettes and a letter from the Department of the Navy. It said, regarding period of service under review, Cooper Vincent P, highest rank corporal, education level 12, MOS 3432, said name Marine was UA from his appointed place of duty. Said name Marine was caught by an NCO from the School of Infantry as he and another Marine student left the land navigation course in an attempt to leave Camp Pendleton. To appeal this decision, get testaments from friends, coworkers, priests or rabbis, evidence of sobriety, processing time 14 months. I searched for him on Facebook for a testimony to reconnect and reminisce, no records found. The call and response. And if I die in a combat zone, box me up and ship me home. Put me in a set of dress blues, comb my hair and shine my shoes, pin my medals upon my chest and tell my mama I did my best. Mama, mama, don't you cry. Marine Corps motto is do or die. The millions of skulls in the dirt, sands and oceans of earth, do not sing do or die. They would rather be alive. But the reality of war has eroded them. Population control, the killing business of humanity, the rich, white, are in the killing business and business is good. This is a poem called Johnny. Mama told Johnny not to go downtown. Marine Corps recruiter was hanging around. My son says he wants to be a Marine like me, a Marine like me. You're not gonna hack it, I say. 
You can't even wake up at 6 a.m. There's no urgency in your body. You're not ready. Just go to college, be an engineer for NASA. Your grandma wants you to fight for Trump and Jesus Christ. It might settle you down and make a man out of you. You're not gonna make it. And I'll be damned if you come home on a Greyhound bus, dishonorable discharge forever. I won't let you down, he says. Yes, you will, I say. This isn't the same core. You can try to be an airman like your bio dad. There's no way you'll survive the Marines. You won't even make it past the scale at MEPS. He pushes the portholes up the bridge of his nose, his cold stare. He put, um, 18 years ago, I picked up the phone to hear my uncle say, I heard you wanna be a jarhead. Mijo, you're not gonna make it. You'll never be able to hack it. I know you, you won't make it. And I can't stop you. Stop eating tacos and start working out. Let me know how it goes. Yes, sir. One day at 2 a.m. while we were sleeping, Johnny left us for a girl, for Zennial freedom, whatever that is. With all the new stuff, I'm gonna close on this poem. It's called Veterano. Before the election, I saw Chicano veterans holding up vote for Trump signs outside of schools and libraries. Some veteranos don't know they're Chicano. They want that towering wall dividing America and Mexico and to smite gay pride. The void of my father was filled by a veterano who, in 1967, heard the dropping out of Brackenridge High School, heard the war song of a West Side Marine Corps recruiter. Go defend our country, son. Make Uncle Sam proud. Don't worry about a high school diploma. You've got the Viet Cong to think about. You'll be physically fit, cock strong, in your dress blues. All these West Side chicks are going to want to fuck you. You'll have medals pinned upon your chest, a career as a cook or a custodian, benefits with a steady paycheck, a cheap little house with an iron fence. Come on, be a real man with a rifle in your hands and tell them all later on the, about the young heroes of war, jungle sounds, caisson, and how things were in Nam. Vietnamese rats chasing like rabid dogs, so large you couldn't swallow, shooting women and children, coming back to be a little league coach for your kids, a hero, a patriot, wearing a red and gold cover that reads, that reads 1967 to 1969, reconnaissance USMC, raising a devil dog flag in the front yard next to an American flag. Everyone driving by knows where you stand, who you are, a veterano, what you did for this country that's not yours, a dream you're not in. All right, all right, all right. Vincent Cooper, everybody, that was fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that work with us. Thank Definitely. you. Claps, claps, and virtual snaps. Um, so we're going to transition and get into this conversation. Uh, we got a number of things that we want to talk about. So let's just jump right in it. Vincent, you mentioned at the top of your set, you're going, uh, you've been working on this new manuscript, uh, The Other Side of Semper Fi. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Like, when did you start writing this and how did it start to come together? Uh, thanks. Um, I started writing this a long time ago. Um, I wrote this very long epic poem that was like, 15, 20 pages long, and it was um, about how, how it started here, the, how I was not married yet, and I was kind of like, told, you know, grow up a little bit, make a decision. I didn't go to college. So I, I wrote about that literally like 10 years ago, and I've been working on also simultaneously my books, right? So I put it on the shelf, and then, like I said, when Trump uh, was elected, it felt fitting to, to come back to this. And uh, a lot of this stuff when I was in was uh, the Bush years, so and, and pre and post 9-11. So I thought it would be, you know, timely and everything, but 
like anything else, man, I get carried away. I'm freaking, you know, let's just go and kill Trump and kill Pence and murder their children. And yeah, a little <laughs> too much middle finger in the air sort of thing. Yeah, and I, I think like my wife was like, where's the poetry? I'm like, yeah, you're right. And so I put it down and, and uh, it wasn't until recently where some people were asking like, hey, whatever happened to that stuff? And uh, I'm like, it's there, man. So I resurrected it a little bit and uh, that's where it's at right now. It's probably about 35, 40 pages long and uh, I'll, I'll add some more to it and, and put that out soon. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting how these topics, like things that we wrote, you know, like you said, during the Bush era is like so long ago, like we can resurrect them and there's still a, a relevancy to them, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, I mean, it was corrupt then as it is corrupt now. So, you know, pick and choose which, which corrupt period of time you want to write about. And uh, I, I can only obviously write about myself. All my books are about me and my family. Uh, so um, I always said I would write the story of my life. And so far it's come out in poetry, but I'm also working on a memoir. Uh, my, um, I found out who my grandfather was on my dad's side. And I'm working with that family now and getting all that information so I can write that story. Vincent, uh, what do you think is the difference between uh, your work as a poet and your work as a memoir in the memoir? I mean, because you're, you're essentially still writing about yourself and both of them. Exactly. So, I mean, really, I feel like until I finish that memoir, like the poetry just feels like it's building up to the memoir. So until I write that memoir, then I can kind of move on to other things. Uh, I've always experimented since, I don't even know, since I was like 20. And it always came out as poetry. And now I'm thinking, you know, it's time to grow up and write a little bit, uh, <laughs> write a little bit more. Uh, I mean, I love poetry, don't get me wrong, but you know, I, I, it, it, even this narrative style, it, it's obvious that I should, you know, go for something bigger. and you know, like, like a memoir. Do you feel like there's a pressure on you to, um, to put out another book after putting out Sasamora? No, not at all. Uh, it was actually more pressure with, with Sasamora because uh, I originally wanted Sasamora with Atlan Libre Press. I sent them that basically Sasamora and he, uh, Juan came back with the chapbook. So I had questioned myself a little bit. I'm like, holy shit. He cut it all out to eight poems, you know? But at the same time, uh, he did not know what he was doing with the press, like for the future of it. For that moment, he wanted to do a chapbook series. So in his mind, he was set to just do something like that. So when I sent him like a full manuscript, I, I myself expected it published at that time with him, Sasamora. So he took eight poems from that and made Where the Reckless Ones Come to Die. So I'm like, holy shit, now I really got to put out, put out Sasamora. And no, everybody said no. Every Chicano press said no. Everybody that was non-Chicano said no. So I, and then Juan said no. <laughs> so, so I felt a lot of pressure. I went through a lot of depression there. If you saw me at readings with a pissed off face, that's probably why. And, you know, eventually it was picked up. And I'm glad it's out and shit, if I don't put anything else out, fine, but I will. Let's talk a little bit about Sasamora, you know, because obviously it's a, it's, a, it's a San Antonio reference. You, you are, you know, very much a South Texas Chicano San Antonio poet. What is it about this, this city and this community that inspires so much of your work and inspire, you know, uh, makes you, you? You know, there's a, there's a yearning to be home. And this is home, actually. Uh, I was born in LA originally, uh, but um, there was always this longing to be here. And I wanna say it's because our ancestors came here, you know, our great grandparents and, 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 and so on crossed over to be here. So when, when I researched them and I see that they all made their lives like down the street from where I live now, you know, there's a, a sense of home here. Uh, San Antonio is very old. The family that I grew up and 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 loved and and admired and and grieved 
they were all here, you know, in the west side of San Antonio. Um, even the family that I lived with in LA, they kind of made it like the west side in, in LA, in Alhambra. So we, in West Covina, California, there was a restaurant, I don't know if it's still there, called The Taste of Texas. And um, we, when we drove by, we drove by one day and we we're like, holy shit. And we went in there and it was like this small taqueria looking place with Selena, Emilio, and like all the high school t-shirts and the spurs and they were serving barbacoa and big red. And in, at the time in LA, we couldn't get that, you know? Yeah. So we were stoked. This was the place to be. And we were like, why do we love this so much? You know, we love San Antonio. Uh, I, I fucking die for this place. I, I, re I really would. Um, it's the streets, it's the nostalgia, it's it's family. Mm. You know, you're, you're reminding me right now when you said, uh, you know, that Taqueria in, in, in L.A. Of, uh, you know, we, we watched, uh, I know from social media that you and I both watched uh, 10 to 5. And, uh, you know, that also takes place at Taqueria there in right. L.A. Um, what do you think that they, I don't say got wrong, but what do you think that they got that's different from the experience of being uh, Chicano in, in San Antonio. I didn't get that. I didn't yeah. I didn't get that at all. I, I liked I liked a lot of it and I disliked a lot of it, but most of it had to do with acting. It didn't have to do really with fame. Um you know they got all these pretty face kids, you know, they got you know acting out there and they're trying to put out the work and and do it and and I prefer Vida more, the show Vida. Uh, I don't know why I connect with that more, but I just do. Um, but this one, if I remember right, it was about saving the restaurant, right? The saving yeah. the taqueria, it was the dads, and then the, the sons were like, one was hardcore Chicano and the other one was a little bit artsy and or whatever and, and all that. Yeah, you know, I didn't like the whole dad got arrested at the end and this, this thing, but... Spoilers. Spoilers, spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> no, watch it anyway. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think they, they, they had some of the elements in there that I like and then some things that I could do without. That's it, you know. Um, however it comes out for the new era or the new wave is the way it comes out. I mean, can't help it. I but, guess, uh, I guess the other question that, I mean, or the other question part of that is, what uh, is different about the LA Chicano experience from the essay Chicano experience? Oh, there's a big difference. Uh, let's see. It starts with Big Red. No, okay. When you're in LA and you say you're from Texas, you're a fucking cowboy, you know? You're, you're something else. You're the crazy fucking cousin from Texas. And, and there's a problem with that. Like you have to watch out for this person. They're not cool. They're not chill. They're not LA style, you know, to the max every day and you know what's up. There's a huge, they're both, it's Atslan, but they're two different Atslans. Hmm. You know, we still got the same food and stuff, but they get a little weird in LA. They put, you know, arugula and stuff in their tacos and <laughs> well, don't do that shit. Inappropriate, you know? inappropriate. <laughs> right. And then, but the style though, you know, LA feels it's hard. Texas feels it's hard because of the state and everything's big in Texas. There's always this kind of a, competitive thing going on and um as far as like in the literary scene i'm not really sure what la's literary scene is i've never been a part of it uh, i've never been asked to be in it or or even received well over there i, I don't uh, i've been known as a texas or a san antonio poet and that's it so you know when i go over there and i feel like i've done a lot they look at me like i'm nothing and i mean that's just the way it is i've LA just has this vibe about them and, and, and I know what that vibe is and I don't care because my concern is San Antonio, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely, I, I'm, you know, and I don't want to trash on, on California or LA or anything like that, but there's definitely uh, this, this tighter, tight sense of community here in San Antonio and how much uh, we all support each other and bring each other up. Um, I want to dive in a little deeper on that that idea of this or that, you know, like Eddie started to talk about like San Antonio versus 
LA, but there's also, you know, let's talk about like Chicano versus Latinx. You know, you, you strongly identify as a, a Chicano poet, not, not a Latinx poet. Uh, tell right. us a little bit more about that. And what that yeah, and, and it came recently because I, when I first heard Chicano, the word, I was a kid and my cousin Nuno had said it. And I said, what the hell is that? It's you, you're a Chicano. And I was like, what? That's great. Because for the longest time, I had no idea what to call myself, right? And uh, I'm like, you know, Chicano, I'm Chicano. Yeah, that sounds good. So uh, over the years, I, I, when I came to Texas, they didn't like that word. They, they actually liked Hispanic or Tex-Mex, Tejano or something. And that drove me nuts because I'm like, you're Chicano, what's wrong with you? And their interpretation of Chicano was something dirty or filthy. And uh, in other cultures as well, Chicano means something else, like cockroaches or whatever. It's crazy. So I have a lot of pride in, in saying that I, I write, you know, for Chicanos, about Chicanos. And um, over the years, I've noticed that Latinx has come, come through, Latinx writers. And I was trying to always figure out what the hell that meant. You know, like, I don't get it. You know, everybody I talk to... Um, identifies as Chicano. Maybe that's the problem is I'm just around Chicanos. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they were like, what the fuck is that? And, uh, but now I get it. I really do get it. And uh, I was worried that maybe the Chicano was forgotten. Mm -hmm. They were being, you know, lapped over by Latinx because even in Hentified or Vida, they're just saying Latinx. Mm -hmm. So yes, it is a generational thing. Um, but yeah, they're just like, how come they're not saying Chicano and Hentified or Chicano, period? You know, I want to hear 20-year-olds say Chicano, so I'm going to say it in all my readings, and those who identify with it should say it as well. That way people don't just hear Latinx, you know, if you just you identify as Chicano, say it, mm -hmm. and uh, that way it can stay in their heads, you know, don't, don't erase it at all, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have my own on my own thoughts on this, uh, but Rooster brings up a good question. Do you feel like it's more of a, a generational thing? Um, is it regional? Like, how does this? Uh, how, how does it? How is it? How is it infused? And like, where do we feel like it's going? You know, it just might be generational because I'm sure my kids and and anyone younger says Latinx, and it's automatic. Somebody said Latinx, and they stuck with it, just like I stuck with Chicano when I heard it. So. And it's not a problem, it's not a beef, it's not anything. It's just simply what, what they relate to, you know? And it's good, you know? It's also good to remember where you come from and where, where Chicano came from and what everybody else from, from your history. So, you know, to, to each your own, you know, each his own type thing, and, and it's good. But yeah, definitely a generational thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Vincent, you're gonna identify as, as Chicano. I've heard you as a Chicano poet. And yet I've also like uh, seen or noticed uh, sometimes when you make statements about uh, when you're submitting uh, to different poetry uh, publications, uh, you feel like maybe your name, your last name kind of uh, brings you back on that. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? I, I'm, yeah, thank you. I'm convinced my last name has given me issues uh, in the publishing uh, industry, I really do. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying I should have 10 books out, but um, I think people think about it. Uh, all my life, it's come up as a question, like, what the fuck, what is that about? You know, is your dad a white man? You know, and it wasn't until recently where I confirmed everything, and my last, or his last name is Orantes, which I'm gonna actually, exclusive, legally change it to Orantes in the next couple months. Mm -hmm. um, because he changed it to, for his own reasons, I really think he's a sellout, but uh, whatever, it's done, you know, and I can change it back as a fuck you back to him and, and continue on this way. Um, but yeah, I really do think it, it, it did factor, even though a lot of people said, no, nah, no, nah, man, it, it did not. I'm like, bullshit, it did. It had to have. Um, I thought my publisher, Jade, was going to really do a lot for me. Um, 
and I was a little worried when they attacked uh, David Bowles because, uh, you know, he was winning awards and stuff. And I'm like, you know, my last name's Cooper, right? Like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you can't just go attacking people or whatever. So um, we didn't have that conversation. That's just my opinion right now. <laughs> I'm calling him out ugly right now. I don't care. Um, so, yeah, I think it matters. I think it's on people's minds. When they want to publish Chicanos, Cooper doesn't sound good. Mm. You know, it doesn't look good, especially in the middle of a bunch of Chicano uh, names, you know. Cooper, it, it, it adds a question mark. And even up until now, I'm 39 years old, and people are still looking at me going, explain your last name. Yeah, it's almost like this, this idea of um, uh, the perception of authenticity, right? And whether your name lends to that. It almost reminds me of este, uh, Luis Urrea, who, uh, when he was told his, his name was, was too Hispanic, to be published he was like yeah. well, he's gonna make it more hispanic and he added his middle name in there luis alberturia like a big middle finger to like the establishment and what um what was perceived of who he was or who he could be and it seems like you've always kind of had that idea of anti-establishment of like i'm gonna just march to the beat of my own drum and do my own thing regardless of what you think um you psych punk rock as a as a major influence in your life, uh, tell tell us a little bit about that. Like how that music has been part of who you are and what punk rock has done for you and your work. Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of Luis Torreya. I mean, everything he's ever done, he's a very kind man. Um, definitely appreciate him. With punk rock, uh, you know, I have two cousins that I I grew up with. Uh, my cousin Nuno and my cousin Adrian, and uh, they were like these, you know, larger than life figures. Nuno was an artist and Adrian's a musician and, you know, everything they did, you know, Nuno went to the LA School of Arts and Adrian did too. So it was the 80s, everybody was skateboarding, uh, you know, it was it was kind of a time and everything they did was fucking cool. You know, everything they listened to, everything they watched, everything they did was fucking awesome. And I just wanted everything about it. So punk rock came from them, you know, especially Nuno, where he would just constantly play 80s, 90s at the time, punk music. And it just stuck. And I'm grateful to it because I still cite these bands in, in a lot of the poetry I write as epigraphs for the poem. Uh, like bad religion and social distortion. Mm -hmm. um, I relate to it, you know, punk that's itself as a kind of, to me, depressing thing. And, and my writing is kind of like hard like that in a way where, you know, it's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> Sometimes you have to hold your breath and you're like, oh my God, is he just ruining a memory now or what? Mm -hmm. So, you know, and it has to do with this, this sadness, I guess. And I moved around all my life. I never really had a place to call home. And, uh, you know, it, it just, this attitude and vibe that went with it, you know? Mm -hmm. It's definitely always been like one of those things. Cause I remember, you know, being part of that community and it's like, man, shit fucking sucks, but we're all here together. And, you know, we all feel the same way. And through that, you know, like you find strength in, in unity and community. Absolutely. And I mean, the, even the aggressive type of stuff, I mean, I get into a mood before I write and I make sure I have all this music going. That's how I get started. Mm. I'll listen to about an hour's worth, System of a Down, which is not punk. Uh, Ramones, Clash, you know, Sex Pistols, whatever, anything, anything like that. And then get into um, like a mood, a fucking mood. And then I just start writing and this is what comes out. Yeah. Evic Victoria just commented, she said, that's true. Does so it's confirmed that you're doing that. Um, just I, I don't know, uh, answer uh, carefully on this one. I don't know what's it like being married to another poet. What's that household dynamic like when you're like, you know, are you are you saying poetry in the kitchen, uh, before bed to each other? Like, tread lightly, like? tread lightly here, <laughs> dude. It's about to be on as soon as this zoom is over. I'm gonna see a chancla fly through this. <laughs> 
Hey, so real quick, if you dug what I read tonight, I want you guys to know that Victoria edited all of it. Mm. Uh, she edits all my work, um, and that process is excruciating. She is the toughest person ever. Mm -hmm. uh, she basically writes X's all over everything and tells me, do it again. Um, she, we get into arguments. I leave the house. I throw the trash can around. We get into this whole thing, and then I come back and go, you're fucking right. Let me do this. Uh -huh. Change. Shit. And I do the change, and then we get what we have. <laughs> we get what was published. Uh, you know, it's awesome. Uh, she's she's been great since day one, since I've met her, and she's made everything happen for me. Uh, every publication, uh, everything goes through her. Everybody I've ever got to meet, I've gotten to meet all my literary idols because of her, and and it's been a true blessing. I'm fucking. Uh, I'm crazy lucky. Y'all met at a poetry thing? We met because we were on Facebook years ago, and uh, Anissa from Oxnard Libre Press put out a call and uh, for, for something, and we saw each other through that. And uh, she was doing like a, a publication of San Antonio Artists and Poets, Victoria was. I'm like, and I messaged her, I think, and I said, hey, uh, you know, how can I submit to that? And then it was over. We fucking started seeing each other like almost every damn day. We kept meeting and every day, every day after that, it was crazy until we moved in, had kids all over the place and still together since that damn uh, call out for, for publication. I think you're giving hope to every single uh, poet out there uh, at this moment. <laughs> Uh-huh. Shout out to partners who are, are gut-wrenchingly honest, because I know if I, I, if I want to have my ass handed to me, I, I ask my husband to critique my work, and he will tear it to shreds. Uh, and I think it's so good to have somebody in your life, like, like uh, Victoria for you, who can just give you like the hard, honest truth. Like, I know you don't want to hear this, but this is, this is it. It just hands it to you. Yeah, real quick about that. Victoria's been like, she came, she came to San Antonio in 2010, and she wanted to take care of her dad, who was dying at the time. And she gave up a lot, you know, but prior to coming here, she was very aware of San Antonio and the Chicano, uh, Chicano pit. Um, so she came down here also with the purpose of trying to get things going for a lot of people. And she created events. She was very much involved with the community. She created so much. So, you know, it's like I'm forever in debt to her, you know, I mean, I, I really owe her a lot. I think a lot of other people do too, you know, she's, she's been very genuine about everything and, and she's all for the, you know, for the word. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sounds like a power couple to me, all right? A little baby, <laughs> Beyonce and Jay-Z action happening down here, a little Gloria and Esteban. Uh, <laughs> So let, let's talk. <laughs> let's talk a little bit about language, right? And the role of language in your work. Again, you identify as a Chicano poet. You know, like how does language and dialect uh, feature in your poetry? You know, like that that idea of code switching and how do you navigate the two languages? Well, I think I'm very low. I would love to be like a Raúl Salinas type of guy who can just spit off and rhyme and be cool and sublime and smoke pot and you know until nine whatever right you know he, he, was, he was fucking awesome and a lot of the uh jose montoya uh these classic chicano poets who can just spit it out like that you know that's the goal for me i'm 39 if i can get there by the time i'm 50 great but right now it's really low so there's you know just little words here and there you know to to bring the reader to understand what that is you know mm -hmm. and it's very basic but yeah i definitely want to do more of that where you throw in more slang or even you know real real code switching words where people have to be like what the fuck does that mean <laughs> you know <laughs> what does pinche cara de nopal mean you know it means fucking cactus face yeah you know 
I that's so very that's so very Chicano too, you know, because like if we if we go back to this idea of what like Chicano is versus Latinx or whatnot, Chicano is very regional. It's very a South of the USA, you know, like immigrant from Mexico but lives in Southern, and so there's a lot of like even though we do identify as coming from Mexican uh, heritage, we are very much like southern chicano like you know and grew up speaking english and so i think that's very authentic to uh your chicano self in that there might be sprinkles of it but it wasn't like we were saturated with the language uh, another thing and, and eddie and you, you probably know this we grew up with theos and tias who were insane right i mean our our we grew up with cousins that were insane you know the stories and their 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 language is really what we were emulating you know if they said they were you know doing hale god forbid you know we we knew what that <laughs> meant or they knew you know you know i went to the barbary metrasquilo and i'm like what <laughs> fucked up my hair like <laughs> you know we got these words from them you know so in a way they're kind of like our our poets or our, our inspirations because they were naturally that way in their lives and we took everything from that and threw them in these poems you know because we kept those words in our hearts forever because of the, the effect you know from when how they said it and emphasizing you know chunk line hand you know what, what that meant and uh, the pain that it would bring and, and all that so i would give a shout out to our Theos and Theas and crazy cousins who the crazy uh, ones, yeah. You know, well, with them, those those crazy cousins, crazy Theas, when they were telling their stories, when I know this too, um, I'm not sure. And I grew up in the valley, so it's a little bit different. Um, it wasn't just the words they were using; they had a certain rhythm and the way they were talking, man. You know, and I don't know if you like tried to uh, employ some of those rhythms uh, in your own poems, or is, is it even possible to like to capture that? You know, I've been working on my impression of my Uncle Danny forever. Um, he, my Uncle Danny, if you don't have my book, he appears in my book a lot because he, he used to write letters to each other. But he was a singer, like when he talked, he sung everything. Like he sounded like, um, like he was just singing a song and he had to rhyme everything. So like, hey, you know, why were you late to the barbecue? Hey man, I just wanted to let you know that I was with some feed me Heine, and now I'm late as fuck. And so what? Like he would do this whole <laughs> singing thing and, and it would just drive us wild. We loved it. it. And I've been wanting to emulate him as much as I can, but I, not yet. I'm working on it still. I think we all have that, like that Theo or Thea who's just such a caricature uh, of a person that uh, we just, you know, like we joke about because their their persona, their mannerisms are just so distinct uh, to who they were. That's just uh, fantastic and something we hold on to. You know, there's no way to recreate that. Right, and, and you know, Danny's gone now, and, and it's a damn shame because. Uh, you know, the way he talked was fucking awesome, and, and he had a handlebar mustache, and, you know, he would take his shirt off, and he was one of those guys that just, you know, looked like he didn't give a shit, and, uh, you know, we, we can't have that anymore. He's gone, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the goal is to, I honor these guys. I know that a lot of, in a lot of cases, they're, uh, they live toxic lives, you know, they were very uh, uh, negative you know, and I, I happened to uh, catch them in certain moments of their lives when all that was kind of like dormant, you know, they were kind, they were very kind to me. They were kind to me because I was their sister's little boy. And, uh, but really these men were very rough men. They were, they were, you know, tough guys and, and you know, man-made in jail and in prisons and stuff like that. So um, I honor them you know, as much as I can. I'm as real as I can uh, be about them. Uh, but yeah, man, there was something about these these characters that my aunts too, you know, that, you know, I miss a lot. Yeah. Hey, um, Lenny, um, I know this is the last question before we go to your, to a final poem, a poetic thought from you, but can you tell us a little bit more about Macondo? Because I think some of this audience isn't sure exactly what that is or what that means. 
Of course, uh, Mukundo is a workshop, basically, but um, it was started by Sandra Cisneros uh, about 20 plus years ago. And it's actually a yearly workshop where you submit to be accepted to attend the workshop. So when you're in the workshop, um, there's usually a master teacher, you know, a Chicana or Latinx Chicano teacher, like a Luis Urrea type person. And um, they teach you and they, you basically bring out your poem or whatever you're working on. And you have 10 other hardcore poet people, you know, poet folks, workshopping, workshopping, workshopping your poem. So you're basically getting this advice from all these well-known authors as well. And you're workshopping their work as well. And you're just kind of like spitting off each other and vibing off each other for about four days in the summer, you know, and afterwards you get all pedo and act Rick James and all that stuff. But the workshop itself, it, it really helps. Um, it You get to see all these great, poets that you see on Facebook chilling out and waving and putting out books. They're there, they're exchanging ideas, giving advice, and, and they want your advice. And, you know, it, it's really, it's, it was really a good experience for me. Yes. Did we miss the deadline on that one or is it still out, you know? Or? You know, I mean, with the pandemic, everything was canceled, you know? So uh, I, don't, I don't know if they're going to do, start it again next year, how they're going to do it. We definitely missed the deadline because I was recently rejected. So that, you know, <laughs> oh. <laughs> there you go. It's no small feat being a part of that. It sounds like quite, quite an incredible uh, immersive experience that uh, has allowed you to, to grow and flourish in your work. So congratulations on, uh, on that. Um, before we go, uh, give us, because, you know, the end of the world is happening. So give us just like top five, maybe top three, like must have read books before the apocalypse is over. Like, what, what, are, what are your top three or top five books that everyone out there needs to go and read right now? Borderlands from Gloria and Del Dua, for mm -hmm. sure. That's like the number one. Um, two other books. Fuck. Anything, yep. anything from Lucille Clifton and anything from Lee Young Lee. All right, all right. Uh, put that, uh, if you can, put that in the chat in case anybody wants to look up those writers. If you can just put it in the chat and they can go look for it because I think that's uh, fantastic to support other writers. Um, let's talk about supporting you. If anyone wants to find your work, where can they get it? Uh, my house? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, you can see me. Uh, you can see me. Uh, you can go to Amazon. It's there. Um, Jade Publishing has it. Um, Asan Libre Press. Um, and I still have uh, books on me as well. So anybody wants to message me or Victoria, you know, we can arrange it. And there you go. Can you type your, uh, your, your Twitter handle into the, uh, into the chat so everybody can see it? Maybe. I don't know. Victoria, you do <laughs> Oh, you know what? Yeah, it's um. our conversation with South Texas poet Vincent Cooper. Again, if you want to purchase his books, you can find it on aslanlibrepress.com or on Amazon. In case you didn't know, we bring these episodes live every Thursday night at 7.30 Central Standard Time on the Blah Poetry Spot Facebook page. But if you want to catch them on your podcast feed, make sure you hit that subscribe button so that you can get a notification every time we bring these out. Every Friday, we'll post a new episode. Next week, we got Albuquerque poet Mercedes Holtry. It's been an honor and a privilege to bring you these conversations. Stay safe out there, and we'll see you next week.